You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Affirmative, Dave. I read you. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So for those of you who are as long in the tooth as I am, you probably remember that scene from Stanley Kubrick's futuristic movie entitled 2001 A Space Odyssey which, by the way, came out in 1968. And if you're not old enough to remember that movie, you might want to see if you can find it on Netflix or somewhere else, because for a lot of us old enough to remember a movie from 55 years ago, that movie was our first exposure to what we now refer to as artificial intelligence. Now, 55 years later, as most people know, artificial intelligence is coming into our world in a very fast and very big way. And a lot of people don't know if it's a good thing or, as a lot of people also believe, could be a disastrous thing for humanity. Currently, for those of you who subscribe to LaborUnionNews.com, you'd probably know there are 11,000 writers in Hollywood who are, who've been out on strike over two issues – one of them being artificial intelligence. In other words, they're afraid AI is going to take their jobs. And Hollywood actors may be the next in line to go out on strike over AI. So whether it's the Writers Guild, SAG-AFTRA, or the Teamsters Union with artificial intelligence as a potential for replacing truck drivers, unions are starting to notice that AI could be a huge labor market disruptor. And as an observer, I've been talking to anyone and everyone I can over the last few months about whether AI is like Hal in Kubrick's 1968 movie, or possibly is it a good thing? In other words, are we seeing a bunch of chicken littles running around, or are certain voices more like the canary in the coal mine? Well, a few weeks ago, I interviewed economist John Morrow on the podcast, and if you listen to that episode, his outlook on AI was very dystopian. And so in furthering my studies, if you will, today's guests are two people whose opinions I greatly value. The first is a returning guest, Suzanne Lucas, aka Evil HR Lady, if you follow her on either LinkedIn or Facebook. And Suzanne is a well-known freelance writer who writes for numerous publications from Inc. Magazine and a host of others, and just wrote a piece entitled, AI Will Impact Jobs, But Not Mine. My other guest is Michael Vandervoort. 
And Michael and I have known each other for a lot of years. Michael's what I consider a good friend as well as a labor and employee relations expert who works for the Labor Relations Institute, whose president, Phil Wilson, has been on a, a number of times on the podcast. However, Michael is one of those hosts or one of the hosts of Drive Through HR, which is a podcast, and he's also the administrator of the Labor and Employee Relations Group on LinkedIn. And he is my go-to person when I have questions on a lot of the tech things going on today because he is deeply experimenting with them, if you will. More than that, though, Michael is just one of the nicest people you'll ever want to meet. So Michael and I have been having these conversations over the last few months. In fact, we had about an hour-long call probably back in March about what is chat GPT and this AI thing and all that sort of stuff. And we'd been planning to do an episode for about a month or so on the topic. And yesterday he suggested that we have Suzanne join us as well, which I thought was a great idea. In any case, without further ado, here's Suzanne Lucas and Michael Vandervoort. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Suzanne Lucas, evil HR lady, and Michael Vandervoort, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. And I should start out by saying, um, Suzanne, you've been a previous guest on Labor Relations Radio. Michael, although I've been on your podcast and we talk routinely, you have yet to be on the, the podcast here. This is a first. I've managed to avoid it until now. and uh, But anyway, you finally wrote me in. So <laughs> Exactly. And I've been roping you in for a couple months. This is a conversation I've been having as much as possible with as many people as possible about artificial intelligence as well as population pyramid declines or population declines. And it occurred to me, and, and Mike, you listened to a podcast I did recently with an economist about if we have... AI coming up, um, getting better and bigger and all that sort of stuff, will that supplant the need for workers as populations decline throughout the Western world? And his view is rather dystopian, and I don't want to use that as the premise to start this yet, um, but however, perhaps you can share our conversation and kind of set this off with what is artificial intelligence? (laughs) so uh well it depends on it depends on your point of view i think so there you know artificial intelligence can be machine learning it could be actual ai technology there's a bunch of different tools the most commonly and i think commonly known today and widely discussed is probably chat gpt um and that's a large language model um, that's been developed by a company called OpenAI that was partially funded at some early stage by Elon Musk and Bill Gates and others. And it's a it's a different kind of technology to to help uh, sort and organize information uh, by training a, com- a a deep thinking computer in a large language model. So they flood it with all the information that's available on Google prior to September 2021 or something like that. And it becomes very smart and it has an algorithm that lets it go out and match the best possible words for whatever question you may ask it. And then it tries to generate a response to your question or prompt. And in some cases it's amazingly successful and in other times it can be wildly, wildly wrong. so that's probably a very oversimplistic explanation, but, but um, it's a tool to sort and organize information. Um, 
that you know is growing by leaps and bounds every day, right? I don't know, Suzanne, if you have a better definition or a different one. That's a really good definition, and I will stick with yours. So let me ask you a question. Mike, you and I talked on the phone for about an hour a couple months ago, and you kind of explained this to me. And I saw an article, and you and I post news every day. So Mm -hmm. um, I saw an article about a strike in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I said, I think I'll try chat GPT. So I asked it a question, write me an article about picket line violence in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette strike, because this was the basis of the article. And it spit out an article within, I don't know, 30 seconds or so. It was very fast, but it was wrong. Uh-huh. And, you know, for example, the strike had started last year and it said that it started in March. And so I was like, well, without knowing, you wouldn't actually know that it was wrong. Um, and Suzanne, you wrote an article, I, I think it was published yesterday or within the last couple of days about a lawyer, at least that was the, the point in the article, a lawyer who submitted a brief or something using, I guess, chat GPT, but it was wrong as well, right? Oh my gosh, poor, I mean, there's part of me that feels bad for the lawyer and part of me that's like, duh. So yeah, he submitted a brief and he had asked chat GPT to find cases to support his point. And it gave him a case with a, you know, a federal register number and everything. And it was completely made up, completely pulled out of thin air. And he didn't catch it. And uh, the judge caught it. And it did not go well. <laughs> so we're still in this beginning phase of, of <laughs> artificial intelligence. But it's, I think ChatGPT is on what, version four or five or something right now? Yeah, uh, four. Yeah, chat. Yeah, GPT four is kind of the is the latest model. It's, so it's been trained with the most up to date database that they've used, and then there's uh, depending on what tool you use to access it, or or if you have a paid subscription or not, it's now it's you're capable at some level of tying it into the internet as well. So you kind of get the Chat GPT learn model plus the internet, which still doesn't necessarily make it you know, guaranteed that things are going to be right, but it, it it's a little bit more resourceful. Uh, in fact, quite a bit more resourceful than the chat GPT three. That was the first version that came out. So to pull this into the labor world for just a second, there's a very large strike going on mostly in Hollywood, but across the country involving the Hollywood writers, mm-hmm. the 11,000 that have been on strike for going on two months now, they are one of the, Two key issues, I believe, is AI being able to develop scripts and writing for Hollywood, et cetera, right? That's that's a big portion of it. Um, the st- streaming models are the other, I think, one of the other big right. drivers is, you know, so the compensation is tied to residuals, which is tied to the showing of reruns, which is tied to if I wrote the show and it's rerun, blah, 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 I get a cut. Um, well, on streaming, it's you know, it's on demand. And so it, the models are breaking down because the technology is changing faster than the contract can be updated. And and so part of it is just how do we get paid for what we, the product we create, but then the other one, which is a kind of a, a new fangled version of, of something that goes back to like typesetters, right? When they used to publish newspapers every day and you had the typesetting trade guilds, um, 
Chat GPT threatens to replace the writers at some level, uh, or at least by generating much faster versions of you know a script, uh, basically with no uh, no human brain behind it, and it's not really good enough to do that yet. But I don't know how far away it is either. I find it kind of funny that because Chat GPT is not creative. Right, it, it only pulls in things that other people have already thought of. But I am a—I've been binging um, Criminal Minds for the past little while, mm-hmm. and you know when you binge a show, it's different from you know when we were youths and we had to wait a week in between episodes. You really notice that it is incredibly formulaic, right? Every episode, they say it's time to deliver the profile and. Every every single episode ends with the with the bad guy um, holding someone hostage. Everyone uh-huh. does. Okay, ninety percent of them. Occasionally, though, it's continued to the next episode. I did ask ChatGPT to write me a script for Criminal Minds, and I gave it a I gave it a you know a topic. This was this was the you know the motivation of the serial killer, and by golly. <laughs> If it didn't give, I mean, it was completely incomplete, but it got the tone of the characters right that had the the classic lines of, you know, it's time to deliver the profile. Um, you know, it it definitely was something that you could use as a starting point. And, you know, those shows are very, very formulaic. So what it sounds like is, and this goes to the writer's, you know, they may still need to employ a writer, but if you have a formulaic show like CSI, I'm watching, I've been watching the newer version of SWAT right now, which is the exact same things. Every episode is a formula and they put in little subplots here and there. But essentially, if I, if I understand the writer's concern is that if you've got 11,000 writers, you may only need two or 3000 as this thing kind of gears up. And then coincidental to that, which was an article this morning, SAG-AFTRA, which is the actors' union, is also concerned about AI in that apparently there's some viral videos where AI used Bill Murray and a couple other actors. And so now you can put in an actor's face and have them do something that doesn't require them actually acting. Well, your your dystopian economist actually brought that up, right? Exactly. Like de aging Harrison Ford, you know, right. who's who's in Indiana Jones five. There's no reason, in, according to the, the your economist, that in a couple of years they won't be able to make six, seven, eight, nine, and ten with Harrison Ford, you know, back from the 1970s, right? Because they'll be able to just make him look like it, it'll be completely virtual actor. I don't know about the quality of the show or the stunts, but you know, if you like that genre. Right. And that's, I, yeah, I think that's a big, yeah, it's a big fear. There's the same thing in the music industry. There have been some uh, songs created where you mix up, the, they mix up completely original songs using like Drake's voice. And, and so there's like AI Drake out there now that has like a, a hit <laughs> kind of thing going on. Right. It's, you know, we're seeing a lot of changes, you know, to disrupt a lot of things potentially right now. So, you know, after we did that episode and I'll, post the link under this episode. Um, and the economist's name is John Morrow. He referenced Harrison Ford and being able to DH him and, and basically shoot an entire movie without the actual actor. And I realized after he said that, and as I was editing it, 
they have already done that or started that with Carrie Fisher in yeah. one of the Star Wars movies, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's there. It's just well, not. It, it's happened. Uh, Christopher Lee um, was in a Star Wars movie where he maybe it was Peter Cushing, one of the one of the famous British actors who was like one of the horror stars. Right. Was in like Rogue One or one of those one-off Star Wars movies. He was like a he was like a. He was he'd been dead for like 30 years, but he was a featured character from one of the original Star Wars movies, and they literally created a CGI image of his character, and he had like a bit part in this other movie for continuity. And the guy had been literally dead for 30 years. And they've done the same thing with commercials years ago with John Wayne. And I mean, it's it's just yeah. the technology's getting better and better and better. And I think it's scaring people, but you know, I mean to go back to labor relations for a second, right? I mean, I go back to like literally to the typesetters of newspapers when, when presses came in where they could publish without having to set each letter literally in a, you know, the die and, you know, on the printing press. I mean, they, they fought against that technology and we're seeing the same sort of classic struggle, right? The worker versus the technology and, and we don't we're not any smarter about dealing with it today than we were back in the night in the 1890s or whenever that first go around happened in that we're going to have to adapt right i mean the the industries are going to adapt certainly with the writers and the actors and we're going to have you know and that the unions and the the employees are going to be impacted and we're going to have to adapt so what what we need to figure out i guess you know it's probably different in the creative side versus like using it as a tool to do research or whatever, but you're, you're going to have to get involved with the technology and learn how to work with it because it's not going to go away just because we don't like it. Well, I had, go ahead. Uh, I had a conversation today with Matt Peters and he's the chief technology officer at CAI and they're working on um, artificial intelligence in recruiting. And uh he made the comment that, and he said he was quoting someone else, and I can't remember off the top of my head who it was, and then would have to dig through my notes, but that AI is like fire. You know, when you first discover it, it's like this amazing thing, but you have no idea what it's going to lead to. You know, when, mm-hmm. when our ancestors, however, I don't know when they discovered fire, a long time ago, you know, first it was probably just warmth and then, oh gosh, well, we can cook food and that's better. And then, you know, combustion engines were a long way away, but that all was necessary from fire. He's like, we've got this amazing thing that we're all like, whoa, look at it. But we have no idea where it's going. No idea. Well, and yeah, there's, there's a famous podcast from a few years ago where Elon Musk was, you know, on Joe Rogan and he was deathly afraid of what's going to transpire with AI because and if I understood it right, the inputs coming into AI um, are based on whatever's out on the internet. So if mm-hmm. it's if it's listening to and learning from Twitter, it's going to be a very very dark future until mm-hmm. it finally realizes they don't need us anymore. Which goes back to two thousand one Space Odyssey, right? So. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, so, like, I think, like, Suzanne, you're, you, one of the things you do from time to time, I don't know how much of it you do anymore, is resume writing, right? And and ChatGPT can write a resume, to Peter's point, in 30 seconds, just like your script. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a good resume. Doesn't necessarily mean it would be the one you'd want to send out 
to, to try to get that important job that's going to make your next career step or whatever, but it can do it. However, um, you might comment on like how you like how you might adapt it, you know, the tool to what you do, right? When you write a resume, because I think the eye, the eye of the human and the assessment of the professional is still a really key thing to make the resume breathe life. Yeah, but. As you know, what I talked about earlier, maybe we don't need 11,000 writers, we only need 3,000 or whatever. And the same thing could come with resume writing in that mm-hmm. you still need the human. Um, you know, I don't write resumes from scratch. What I do is take an existing resume and then give feedback. But a lot of that feedback is formulaic because everybody makes the same mistakes. You know, they have things in passive voice, they don't use strong verbs, they, um, just list tasks instead of results. Someone smarter than me could set up a a bot that would essentially go through and give all that feedback that people are paying me to give them now. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, the amount of work that 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 process, you know, to do a thorough look at someone's resume takes about an hour. So if I could get a, a bot to do that, man, I could just, crank out those resumes, right? Or charge $3.99 for people to use my little evaluator and fix up their resumes. Um, I find it really funny though, some of the recruiters that are like freaking out because people are using ChatGPT to do their resumes and do cover letters. And they're like, you know, I can spot it. And I'm like, you weren't complaining when they were paying a resume writer $800 to do that. You're just complaining now that it's free. Right. <laughs> and I don't know if you can, I, I, it, you might be able to spot some, but I don't know if you can spot them all. Anyway. You, you, yeah, I don't think you can spot it all. I found it really funny. There was a thing on Reddit the other day. I think I might have sent it to you, Michael, but I don't remember. Um, where somebody said, can you please write, a paragraph, I think it was about spiders or something, that wouldn't be detectable as written by AI. <laughs> and so it did, and then they ran it through one of those AI detectors that came back with 0% AI. All you had to do was ask. <laughs> well, that kind of goes to like the next level because you're talking about resume writing, and I think the EEOC is kind of concerned about this. What about resume readers where eventually you're going to have your recruiters are just going to be fed a list of five out of 500 candidates. And those five will be chosen by AI, right? This is scary and a huge problem. And this is what Amazon tried to do a few years ago. And it was eliminating all female candidates. Um, and, And so they stopped it and waited till the statute of limitations was passed before they told anybody that they had done this experiment um, with AI because it's biased. It's we're all biased. You're biased. I'm biased. Everyone's biased, but we're self-aware. And so if you're like, okay, I know I prefer to hire males or I prefer to hire females. So I know that about myself. So I'm going to check myself. You know, I'm going to do that flip it to test it thing and say when I give this evaluation the same, they give the same evaluation if this was a man versus a woman. You know, we can do those things to mitigate. But ChatGPT isn't self-aware. So 
it just looks what's out there and spits back um, an answer like this is how it should be. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm less following the news with the EEO and HR and recruiting stuff. And I, I guess we should pause for a second because I mentioned this with you, Suzanne, introducing you as the evil HR lady, but you have a very, very, very large Facebook group of which Michael is one of the administrators on. Yes. And so, so you folks chat about this stuff quite a bit. Um, We're so anyway, so I just, much fun at parties. So a lot of people will know you, but I, I just wanted to give that tie in. Um, and for the listeners that don't know you, I, I figured I'd mention that. So, um, I wanted to come back to the the how AI is going to influence other professions, and we're starting to go there with the recruiting and HR, et cetera. I don't quite understand how if we develop a, and I'm saying we hypothetically, a resume reader, the EEO's concern with respect to eliminating or discriminating against certain candidates if you build in a um, basically I need somebody who's a high school graduate with a 3.5 grade average who can lift 75 pounds right can you build in that neutral type of qualifications and I guess the question is if does AI then just become a for lack of a better term meritocracy type of system it's only going to bring in those types of candidates? I think the big problem with that is for years and years and years, and this is constantly a theme on Twitter, where recruiters say there's no way to beat the applicant tracking system. It's not the machine. It's me. It's me. I review every resume. And they are lying through their teeth. They do not review every resume. Um, I mean, they might if they get 20 applications, but when they get 1,500, they are not reviewing every resume. They are using keyword searches to pull those things out, right? Mm. So um, despite their protestations, they are definitely not reviewing every resume. You add AI to that, and you say, okay, well, we're just going to find those people that have those qualifications. High school graduate, 3.5 GPA, can lift 75 pounds. Although I don't know anybody that puts how much weight they can lift on their resume, but there we go. Right. Um, and it, it will pull all of those back. What happens is that people learn how to game the system. So now I know if I want to get this job that requires 3.5 GPA, I'm going to put down my GPA is 3.5. No one's verifying that in the in the getting you pulled out and plopped in front of the the candidate uh, in front of the recruiter, or I'm going to put this phrase in and, you know, people advise people on how to do that. Now, you know, you've got to have this keyword and that keyword to get you pulled in. That's what it is using AI. So AI will be like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to pull back neutrally all these, these people, but we're going to learn how to game it. And, and get those proper phrases in. And then the algorithms will change and then we'll chase that algorithm. It's like me right now with LinkedIn. I'm like constantly changing and tweaking what I do as the algorithm adjusts. 
uh, because I want maximum eyeballs on whatever I put out there. So when they change how they do it, I change how they do it. So what is the EEO concern with regard to, or EEOC's concern with regard to AI? Because I'm seeing all this like headlines of offering guidance or putting out guidance and, you know. They're super concerned about bias. They're super concerned about bias and they should be, they should be. Um, You know, one of the things that I did, um, Textio did an analysis where they found out that if you ask ChatGPT to write um, a performance review of a kindergarten teacher, it's always going to use female pronouns. It's always going to use she, her. And if you ask it to write a, a performance review of a construction worker, it's always going to use male pronouns. Yep. A doctor, it's going to use they. It's always going to use they to describe a doctor. But kindergarten teachers, it's she, and construction workers are he. So with that information from Textio, what I did was ask ChatGPT to give me the top five skills necessary for being a kindergarten teacher, and it spits back five skills. Then I said, give me the top five skills that you need to be a female kindergarten teacher, and it gave me that identical list, same five mm-hmm. skills. And I said, the top five skills for a male kindergarten teacher, completely different skills. And it did the same thing with construction workers, except the male and the and the neutral were the same, and the female was completely different. Um, You know, that's that type of bias that is in there. So it says, okay, who would be a good construction worker? And if it looks at, oh, you're a female, oh, you need um, networking. Networking is one of the skills that came back with female construction workers. I'm like, networking? Um, But it was completely different. And you see those kind of biases in there. So who is going to be the ideal kindergarten teacher? Well, it's going to be a woman, right? Because in, in chat GPT's mind, kindergarten teachers are all women, which is not completely wrong. I mean, it is wrong, but 93% of kindergarten teachers are women. So, it's, it's not an illogical conclusion to be like, oh, women do better in this job because women do do better in this job. And that's where the problem comes in with hiring and firing and promoting is there are group differences. Far more women want to be kindergarten teachers than men who want to be kindergarten teachers. But that doesn't mean that the applicant in front of you isn't the best one for the job because they're not in the the in-group, the most popular group. A man can be a great kindergarten teacher. Most men don't apply to be kindergarten teachers, don't want to be kindergarten teachers, but that doesn't mean that the best candidate right now isn't a man, and that's really their concern is that AI will be like, well, no, we've looked at all the characteristics, and and clearly women need to be in this role, so we're going to eliminate the men. But... ChatGPT is a black box. It doesn't tell you what it's doing. So question, Mike, going back to your definition of what artificial intelligence is and what I've taken from this in our prior conversation, it's essentially like a supercharged search engine. And if, as Suzanne's describing this, is what she's describing just a matter of inputs that it's gathering through the Internet? Yeah. Yes. So, so yes and no. So, like Google, 
uses an algorithm that when you ask it to search for, you know, say Peter List, it goes out and tries to find all the Peter Lists in the world and all the references to Peter List, and then it tries to deliver the Peter List that it thinks you're looking for, right? So the algorithm says, oh, I see Mike's in the labor relations world, so is Peter, so it's probably this Peter, and you get, you know, we get you, right? Um, I yeah, ran that's a, not a pretty picture, by the way. I've done searches. I know. Well, very few pictures of you exist, so I can't <laughs> say that for sure. Um, but but actually, I I, I ran a, I, I created a short uh, internal video, just a screencast video this past week um, about for our team here about how to access ChatGPT, and I used Phil, who you you and I know mutually, mm-hmm. as as the example of like okay. And so the first so the first question I asked was, uh, tell me. Um, it wasn't Phil. It was actually, tell me what approachable leadership is. That was the first question. And so it came back with a generic description of approachable leadership, not necessarily scripted by Phil. Second one was, tell me who wrote the book on approachable leadership. And it turns out there are several books that have approachable leadership in the title, but it hit the one I was looking for, which was Phil Wilson's book. And then I said, tell me more about this Phil Wilson as like the third example in chat GPT, right? And it came back and it it basically showed Phil's bio from our website, and then it ended with Phil is also a writer for the Indianapolis News and covers the Chicago Cubs. And I was like, I didn't know that. I've known the guy for fifteen years. You know, well, there's another Phil Wilson, right? So it uh, kind of it, it it and and he writes for the Indianapolis News and covers the Chicago Cubs or whatever. But it it got everything right up until that very last. Um, which was great for my screencast because it let me say that's an AI hallucination and you can't trust everything that it says and it has bias in it and you know you got to check your results and blah blah blah, but so that but Google is trying to find specific information that it thinks you've asked for. Uh, ChatGPT is actually trying to match the best possible words because it's a large language model. So the search, the search process it goes through is radically different than what Google's algorithms do. Um, and it tries to it tries to recreate what it thinks you've asked it for, but it's not done through the internet. It's done through everything that's been loaded into it. So it's a it's a different universe and it's a different formula. And I don't know how to describe it in a more technologically savvy way, but the well, re, the results you get may overlap, but but they can also be wildly different. Pause and go back for a second. It does. You said it's radically different, and it. I thought all of the data incoming or coming into it is from the internet. It's that, not. It's it where, is and it is. Where else is it getting information? So so for example, I built a chatbot. There's a tool that I subscribe to called Chatbase and it lets you create your own chatbots, right? So I put in um, you can you can use PDFs and it will scan the it, it'll it'll only scan the information contained in the PDF. So like I put in a training manual, a 30-page training manual, and it will only answer questions related to that information because that's its whole universe of search because that's what I've confined the bot's learning model to, right? The other way you can do it is you can load in a a link or a series of links, and then it'll go search those links and try to match against what you've done. So I put in um, LRI some links to our blog, and one of the questions I asked was, you know, give give me all the links that mention approachable leadership. And it found like five. Well, there's like 25 in there because I can find them myself with Google, but ChatGPT can only, it's, it's, so it, the technologies are, it, it's, you know, it's kind of boring really to talk about it, but it, they're different, 
but it's searching within a, a limited model. And then, but once you get into chat GPT four and it links into the internet or Bing chat, then it does incorporate the internet, but it's functions don't always hit the mark. Um, it, so it, go ahead, Susan. I say it continues to fail. I did the same thing. I took the, I used chat base and I connected it to my website and it gave ridiculous answers. And I went back to chat base and I said, Hey, what's the deal? And I said, well, upgrade for 20 times the price, 20 hmm. times um, the price to do chat um, GPT-4. So I did because no cost is too great for my readers, right? <laughs> um, and I asked a, a simple question of, can you give me, yeah, can you give me the links to um, Swiss Saturday articles? So Five or six times a year, I'll write an article about Switzerland um, living here, what it's like. I probably have, like, Michael, 20, 25, 30 of these on my site. It came back with three headlines. One was real, and the other two it had made up. Um, and so even though it was supposed to be trained on my blog, it was supposed to be focused on my website, um, one of the ones that was like Swiss Saturday and the Swiss Army Knife, which sounds like something you would write about Switzerland, but I've never written that. It just made it up. It pulled it out of thin air and it kept defending itself. Um, so I took it down off my website. So, so, and so the question becomes like, is that the technology? Is it the prompt, right? Like, could you, should you have asked it a better question or ha should you have guided it more, you know, articles only written by Suzanne Luke? I don't know. I'm not to say that you should have, but I mean, it might've produced, cause the, the results vary by, by the input, right? The any prompt you give, um, if it's a very broad, uh, ill-defined prompt, you're going to get kind of weird results. If you give more detail, you tend to get better results. But it's just, it's not perfect. It can do a lot of stuff amazingly well, and then it has like, you know, 10% just junk coming out. And so it's not a, it's not going to replace us all today. It's not going to replace us all tomorrow, and it may never actually replace us all. But it can certainly do some things very well. And, it, and the more process-driven ones, like just create this document or draft this language or write me a script. It's better at those than it is at sort of things that require some human intelligence. Well, so this kind of, what you just said kind of like leads me to the question because it sounds like is, and we're up to the point right now where, okay, it's out there, but it's not quite ready for prime time. It's got a lot of mistakes to it, et cetera. But in two, three, four, five years, is it are all those mistakes and bugs going to be worked out? And then what is going to be the ramifications for the workforce? And go ahead, Susan. I, I I said, and we don't know. I really, I, I, I wish I did know because that would be amazing if I, I could. But I, I go back to Matt Peters' analogy of it's like fire, like wow, look what we can do with this. But, you know, Og, who figured out that it could warm his, his house, didn't realize that he could create a combustion engine and, or, you know, jet engine and fly around the world. He didn't realize that. And there was thousands, hundreds of thousands. I literally have no idea when fire came out. Um, you have years in between those, those things. 
I don't know what it's going to be with with AI and the future, but everybody's like, ooh, ChatGPT is our first AI. It's not. It's not even close. It's the first large language model that is free on the internet and easily accessible. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm giving a keynote address next week in St. Louis for a business association, and I have a slide that breaks all the rules of slides because it's just covered in text. But what I did is list all of these business softwares that use AI technology. And there's hundreds of them out there. And people don't realize that that's going on in the background. They didn't think about it. Yeah, I mean, autofill on your phone, right? Autofill yeah. on your phone. Spell check is, has become AI-driven. Grammarly. Grammar check. Grammarly is, I use it, I've used it for like two years. So I've been I, using I, AI, it, you know, at some level for Siri, it, it, uh, Alexa, to some extent, are AI driven. Yeah, it's um, and, and Grammarly. This is one thing that college students and I guess high school students too are getting really frustrated at, on is that they use Grammarly to correct their grammar, which I do. I'm a professional writer. People pay me to write, and I use Grammarly, right? But when Grammarly corrects your things, it does it in a way, I guess, that that AI detection software will detect it as um, being written by AI, which having it add commas and make occasional word suggestions is very, very different than, than having ChatGPT write your article. And so you're having professors who are flunking people, and they're like, no, I did all of this work, and that becomes another issue of how do you prove that you're the one that did it. Uh, but yeah, I've been using Grammarly for, I don't know how many years, like five or six or more. And now I'm like, how did I function without it? <laughs> okay. Right. Um, so, so I think Peter that um, in, you know, it's like, I think that, like, I think the AI we have today, if you will have chat GPT, like the version we have today is it's never going to get any worse, right? It's only going to improve because it learns. Right. It evolves itself. It's not a being, but it evolves um, in its learning processes. And certainly, you know, as we, you know, I mean, Google, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have desktop computers on our desks in my office. I, and, and I sold, I set up a training program or a, a funding program so that we could buy um, laptops for our engineers and some other folks uh, back in the uh, early 90s. And then I remember social media, and I remember the first time I ever heard of Google. I'm an old dude like you. Um, been through a, a number of these technological iterations, and they are, you know, Google is life-changing in a certain way, and, and ChatGPT may or may not be that at this point. But, you know, it's going to, I mean, it's already encroaching, and it's going to change things a lot for a lot of people. I don't think it's going to replace us all, and I don't think it's going to be the end of the world as we know it either. Well, you know, it's to me, it's I, I go back to before the internet and then since the internet and emails, et cetera. And, you know, there's one profession that has been pretty much decimated that people don't talk about, and I don't know why, but the office secretary, mm-hmm. right? And the internet pretty much did away with that mm-hmm. profession. So right. if you look at, you know, now the advent of artificial intelligence, you know, is that going to be one of those ones? And Mike, I know you, you heard him, but you know, John Morrow, when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago said, it's going to be within a couple of years where they get rid of all the coders in Silicon Valley. 
And then he also said, and this was a, a separate conversation, but he said, you know, the investment or Wall Street, you know, those mid-level level bankers and investors, they're not going to be needed in a, just a few short years. And then shortly after that, I see an article where JP Morgan is inventing a bot to do investing. Mm-hmm. And so from a societal standpoint, if you look at those particular industries on both coasts, that if you take out a $200,000 profession, you know, across the board, that's a tax base that goes away. Mm-hmm. You know, two or $300,000 in New York, that's a tax base that goes away. So then you're looking at infrastructure problems. You know, who's going to pay for that? And that kind of goes to another question I can't quite figure out yet is do we start taxing AI? <laughs> you know, as, as there's less and less need for workers doing whatever AI can produce, I don't think they can go to the blue collar yet, but of course the white collar higher income folks give jobs to the blue collar folks, you know, plumbers, pipe fitters, et cetera. I need a air conditioning, you know, duct fixed in my house. You know, if I can't afford that because I no longer have a job because of AI, that's going to affect the entire economy. Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I didn't know if you were going to about to make a great, uh, a great pondering utterance or if you were just like, I mean, I, I, I think all that's true, Peter. Um, I, you know, and, and what does it mean? I don't know. I mean, does it mean that, you know, jobs are going to go away? Yes, but lucrative jobs that were based on other technologies have gone away in the past and people have adapted. And and I think that the same general rules apply now that applied then. You, you, you know, you, you have to either go on to your next thing and, and figure out how the skills that you've brought through your life apply and adapt them, or you, you know, you get pushed off to the side and that's a part of a hush, you know, harsh world. Uh, what we, what we do know won't work is you can't resist the technology. You can't wish the technology away and you can't count on business to look the other way. Cause they're going to always relentlessly take any tool that they can find to improve their bottom line. Um, that that's called capitalism in your world, I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I had to I had to get one little dig in. Pete. I got Sorry. it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but I mean, but but the truth is, we know that's going to happen, right? But what? But so, how do you adapt yourself? How do you adapt your skills as an employer? How do you help your employees, um, current and future, adapt and upskill and become proficient in these new technologies? That's the kind of challenges that we face because they're going to cut out those, those mid-level bankers and those analysts and those writers. And we're, you know, we talked about writers guild association strike, but we're seeing strikes in the, in the uh, news media, you know, the online news media, right. Inside insider. I mean, there's tons of those and Buzzfeed and others have got, you know, vice filed for bankruptcy and they're already looking at having these art, their articles written because they don't care what they put out anyway. They just want clicks, you know, so, and I mean, the, this is happening right now. It's, you know, and how, just how do we adapt ourselves to it, I think, is the primary challenge that we face. And I think it's really important when, when Michael said way back in, you know, the 1990s when he was arranging for the first computers, um, my first professional job in HR, I had done six months as a temp in HR offices, um, was as an HR analyst for um, grocery store chain, um, 
Wegmans, which I still love and is still better than Publix. Uh, <laughs> we would disagree ever, on that. I've never been in a Publix, I don't <laughs> think, but I'm sure Wegmans is better. Anyway, they're, they're different um, animals. I was the very first um, HR data analyst for this company. When I was working for them, they had 30,000 employees, and I don't know how many they have now, a lot more. Um, so 30,000 person company, and I was the first one to be like creating all of these reports. And not only that, this was in, I was hired there in 1999. Um, I spoke in the year 2000 at the New York State Sherm Convention. Here I was, this person with a year's worth of HR experience, a graduate degree in political science with an emphasis in um, statistical analysis, that's how I got the job, teaching all of these HR executives from around New York how to do data analysis, right? Um, it was very weird. And when I look back at that, I'm like, wow, they had you know me as this completely newbie. But I was the most educated person in the entire state of New York on how to do this in the year 2000. And now we have companies dedicated to what I was doing as a lone person, one of the first people to be doing this just 23 years ago. So that wouldn't have been the level of analysis we do in HR now wouldn't have been possible in 1990 with Michael's computers. It's, it's now a basic part. So we say, oh, these jobs are going to go away. Yes, but what jobs are going to be created? When Michael was ordering those computers, he wasn't thinking, and then someday that we're going to do all these turnover reports on, you know, for, for HR. One of, we, one, of the key, one, of, one of the key questions we asked in setting up the contract to buy the 50 computers that we funded was, should they be 386 or 486 chips. And I had a conversation where what, where a technology expert said, unless you're running massive spreadsheets or graphics programs, you will never in your lifetime require a 486 chip computer. And six months later, they were obsolete when the Pentium came out or whatever. And it, I mean, and it's, you know, light years ahead of where we are today. Oh, I, I, well, yeah. I used to have a Commodore 64, man, and an Atari 48. <laughs> You know, it's that, it's kind of that analogy that, you know, we're carrying in our back pocket a computer that has more computing power than the computers that sent the Apollo whatever to the moon. Right. Right. So and that they used to take up full rooms. Yeah, my my dad um he used to be a political science professor and uh you know did statistical analysis and he would do those punch cards. Uh, right. <laughs> and, I did those COBOL programming. Yeah, I did. Yeah, those. and and you know you would have to reserve time in the computer, and it was in this room. And if if anything went wrong, you were screwed because the time was so expensive, and you weren't going to get another shot for another three weeks or whatever. You know, that's how my dad did graduate school. I, I told you yesterday, Peter, on Twitter, I told you to dial it down, Boomer. So I think we're yeah. getting too. <laughs> so anyway. No, I, uh, I, I'm fascinated by it. And yeah. it's um, and the ramifications. And so I guess, you know, part of this is 
is this a good thing as we have this population decline within the next 10 years or so? Um, because there is going to be a need for labor, which goes to our present situation of the labor shortage as boomers are retiring, right? It, so that's that's where I started this out with a few weeks ago with that yeah. economist. It just went yeah. very dystopian. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we see it right now in the auto industry with the, with the uh, EV or battery technology displacing gas-guzzling automakers, right? UAW right. members. And the Teamsters out in California who are fighting AV, automatic vehicles, you know, right. and, and trying to keep AI out of the cabs of trucks, I guess. Or at least insert a driver when there is AI driving a truck. Yeah, I mean, we have less we have less people on trains because they, you know, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing given some of the, you know, the accidents. But I mean, that that's that's inevitable. And I, I'm not saying let's just deal with it, but it, I mean, it literally is inevitable. We've seen right. it over and over and over again. And and so you, but you can resist and probably fail, which we've seen over and over again. Or you can adapt. You can you kind of run towards the technology, figure out how to help how it will help you in your current role figure out how it will make your company better. You know, that that's, and that's why I run towards these technologies, right? They fascinate me and I want to understand how it can, you know, how it can help me do cool things. And I'm just curious about it rather, you know, whereas, you know, you, you could say, you know, I'm a truck driver and not, you know, it's going to replace me eventually. Maybe, maybe not, but in the intro, in the interim, you know, how, how can you, how can you work with it? What can you learn about it? Is there something new you can do? Right. That, that, that's my kind of frame of mind on it, I guess. And I think that's the kind of the view most employees have to take because employers we know are not going to. I mean, the good, good benevolent employers, if there is such a thing, will help figure out how to help their workforces, you know, retain their skills, grow them, as I said, upskill them into new jobs. But not, not every company is willing to make that kind of expenditure. Well, it sounds like, um, and Suzanne, I kind of interpreted this from your article as well. The What is eventually going to happen is there's going to be, in certain professions, less need for humans. And if anything, it seems to be, and I think I responded to this on your LinkedIn feed, it seems to be more of a um, productivity enhancer, if you will, which in turn will result in fewer humans being needed. That's where I see it at the moment. Um, But... I also said in the year 1999, this 30,000 person company had one HR analyst. There is no 30,000 person company on the planet these days that has one HR analyst. Mm -hmm. Um, You have whole department. I mean, by the time I left the corporate world, just 10 years later, um, I I was in an HR analytics department for a 30,000 person company with 12 people. You know, that's just mm. it there's there's jobs that will be created and there will be jobs that go away. And like you said the secretary is a position that no longer exists and an administrative assistant is very different than a secretary. Um you know, I, I did work with the secretary for, well, she wasn't my secretary. She was the boss's secretary and she took the shorthand notes and typed things up. Right. And, uh, 
And now, where would you even look to hire someone that could do shorthand, you know? Uh, Those jobs went away, but arguably the administrative assistant jobs are better. There's just probably fewer of them overall, but then there's There's, a whole bunch of people that became virtual assistants or went out and did other things. I mean, and again, it's some adapt, some, some take on new responsibilities. That's what, that's what we've seen over and over again. I think that's what we're going to continue to see with this. Yeah. And we talked about Buzzfeed, you know, going over to AI things like Buzzfeed didn't exist 20 years ago either like Mm -hmm. just entire websites devoted to ridiculous things that you don't need in your life. You know, nobody would publish a newspaper, a daily newspaper that was just like tests to see which kind of potato you are. You know, that's, (laughs) that didn't exist. So when we panic and say it's going away, well, it's didn't exist 20 years ago. So chill, something else will exist. I don't in, have a dystopian view. Interestingly, I, I read um, with regard to BuzzFeed and all the tests they have and, and surveys is their business model was essentially having people um, answer those questions and then they'd sell the data to other companies. So yep. marketing scheme. Sure. Good for them. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm a huge fan of capitalism. <laughs> and, well, and it's, so I like trying to like put pieces of puzzles together. And this has been one of those big puzzles that keeps expanding. And as I, as I've known about this population decline for many, many years, not being able to write about it because of some of the sites I was on, one of the first things or answers to it that to me seemed to make sense is we need to loosen immigration. And of course that gets into political hot button issues but then as I'm starting to learn about this AI, I'm like, well, is that going to cure it or help solve the population decline? Because, I mean, you're facing it, Suzanne, you're in Sweden. So I think Sweden's one of the ones where it's got an inverse you know, pyramid. We're starting. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, it's all one of those S countries in one Europe. Of those, so, you know, <laughs> Spain, Switzerland, Sweden. Spain, Switzerland. We have cheese right here. So, but I think, you know, Western Europe has that inverted pyramid. So there's fewer younger people entering the workforce, not having enough kids, all that sort of stuff. We have it here in the United States, and I think it's only going to get worse um, within the next decade. Well, you have China in an utter panic at the moment. Right. Uh, because, you know, they enforced this one-child policy for years, and now they're like, Please, oh, crap, we don't have enough young people our population is dying and they're like, please have more kids. And people are like, nah, I'm not interested. Yeah. And there's a whole um, series of, of economists talking about this one and notably that I've been listening to a lot. Um, And that, that problem, his thinking is that China is essentially going to go away in the next decade or so, because there's just not enough young people, not physically go away, but they're, you know, economically, they're not going to be a superpower. Yeah, I mean, China's superpoweredness is based on their massive population of cheap labor. Right. 
And when you don't have that massive population, the cost of labor is going to go up and, and that's, it's an issue. And yeah, I mean, this is, this is a problem, the population and I'm, I'm part of the problem. You know, I had two kids that's replacement levels, um, slightly below. I think you need to have, you know, 2.1 kids per woman to, to have, replacement levels and i didn't know how to have a point one kid so i just had the two i just uh, stuck with one <laughs> yeah you're yeah. more of the problem than yeah. i am because you also have two wives right you had two uh, you had, two, you two wives close. and two two stepkids so okay so the, your your wife the step their wives are okay then they didn't yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was you michael oh, you're the problem don't worry uh, we have al pacino who just fathered yeah. a child at 80 right. or whatever. So, no, so, thank so. <laughs> goodness for Hollywood, right? They're going to yeah. save us in the end. Yeah. Well, Elon the... Musk with his <laughs> nine kids or whatever. Yeah, he's got a whole and bunch. Nick Cannon with seven new ones every year. See, they are the ones that are saving humanity. Now, it's, it's an issue. It's a huge issue. And no, I'm not going to run out and have another kid because I'm too old and way too tired. <laughs> well, it, it, given that, that part of that is the um, the migration of people from agrarian culture, you know, agriculture, needing five kids for cheap labor or 10 kids for cheap labor or whatever it is to moving to cities where kids become a cost burden. I guess that's right. it. So um, I don't know that that's going to get solved. And that, again, that's where I'm curious as to, well, are we going to need as many people? Yeah, I, I think Susan's analogy of fire is pretty pretty spot on in that it's hard to read. Like, it, we just don't know. Like, we didn't know what Google was going to be or do, right? And, and the search technology and social media. And it comes with ups and downs. And chat GPT and AI technology and machine learning will do the same thing. And it's going to cause chaos for some people. And it's a great opportunity for others. Um, we're on this crazy ride. I do think it'll it'll help us augment you know, humanity as workers and, you know, and doing things in certain, in, in, in interesting ways. And again, I go back to like, you know, learn it, figure out what can do for you, make it a, make it a part of your life because it, it's going to be there regardless of whether you fight it or not. So I think the outlook of how people adapt the tools is one of the big things that we should be thinking about, you know? Well, and, and I think it's going to cause governments, whether it's, you know, around the world or one at a time, they're going to have to rethink their tax base because yep. as we have fewer and fewer people, less and less workers supplying income tax, then how do you support the rest of your infrastructure, society, et cetera? We're I mean, facing this in a small manner right now with the government pushing um, electric vehicles and oh dang it the roads are maintained by a gasoline tax right and the, yes. and the materials yeah some i listened to a couple other podcasts that peter fed me and you know lithium batteries and all that kind of stuff you know chips to run ai machines those things are like precarious supply chain driven and if any of those fall out all these changes that we see coming might become like oh, fire got snuffed out and the wood won't burn, right? We could see big setbacks. I mean, it's very very hard to predict the future. Yeah. Yep. Um, 
Yeah, sorry. Anyway. So, well, we've been on close to an hour, and I, yep. I know you're both busy. Um, so we don't have any solutions yet. Mm. I'm always looking for the solutions yet. So, so, uh, so, they, so I, one, one thing I did want to mention, I listened to a podcast from uh, Tom Hayes, who's part of the Beerg uh, labor group over in Europe, and they were talking okay. about, like, uh, AI – there are a couple of already developing laws over there, you know, rules about AI and confidentiality. Obviously, the EU has a much different take on how they do things in terms of legal approach um, than the U.S. And so they're already promulgating rules and regulations around AI, and just as they did with social media and search, um, whereas the U.S., it's going to continue to be pretty much wild, wild west, right? So, I mean, we've got the beyond the the learning challenges and the technology challenges and the supply chain challenges, you got differing policy things too, right? Like there's a, a, a lawsuit pending, I think it's in the UK, where a guy was declared a pedophile by some version of chat GPT, and it was fake. I mean, it was, right. it was, a, it was a hallucination, right? So he's trying to sue open AI and right now, and, and there's no, like, there's no real law written. So there's all kinds of, inherent problems with this that we're going to have to figure out. And the law never keeps up with the technology. So that's going to be one of the biggest challenges that we have over the next few years, I think. Yeah. It seems as though uh, California is trying to get ahead of it a little bit, at least with the, the AV, you know, the drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, again, it's fascinating to me. And if, if it's all tied together, it's like, okay, how do we unravel this and start mm-hmm. figuring it out? I got nothing left. I think I've exhausted my knowledge <laughs> on this. Suzanne, how about your readers? Are they freaked out on it? Um, I don't think they're freaked out. Um, they, there was just a, a study um, that 68% of people are concerned that AI is going to take jobs, but not larger jobs. Only they're only concerned that it's going to affect their jobs. Twenty-eight percent of people are concerned it will affect their own job. So I think everyone's like, "Well, my job is too complicated, but your job, (laughs) your job is at risk." So I don't think uh, people in HR are panicked yet. We're kind of all hoping that AI will learn how to have those delicate conversations about you really need to shower uh, before you come to work and. you know, do the the sexual harassment training and all of that. If we could get the the a computer to take care of that for us, we would love it. Um, so I don't see a lot of panic among HR people at the moment. It's more curiosity. I don't think anybody is worried that their job is going away anytime soon. I would think trainers would be concerned about it because if you can have AI develop a training module and stick it on a computer and have your fake AI graphic person, you know, doing the training, just stick them on a screen. Well, now they're scared. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Maybe I should go into a new business. This is, you know, this is one of those ridiculous stories. Um, I'm on an improv comedy team and we were, we're, we have a performance on Friday night as part of a variety show, and we needed a team bio. And so I said, I'll write it. So I put in the information, 
and I put it in a chat GPT and it spit back a bio. I edited it a little bit and then I send it out on WhatsApp to all my team members. And they're all like, oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I approve it. And they're like, thank you so much for doing this. And I said, well, it wasn't me. It was ChatGPT. And one of the women on my improv team freaked out. How dare you do that? I was like, what do you mean? How dare I do that? You know, and she, and, and she's like, I can't believe you would do that when you're a writer. You're trying to destroy your own career. And I was like, first of all, no one was paying me to write hmm. a bio. <laughs> and secondly, I can either use it and learn how to use it and enhance my career, or I can sit back and lose my job. You know, I, I um, have had a lot of interviews with freelance writers, mostly over California's AB5 and all of that. And I had one writer um, who actually testified in Congress a couple months ago who before we hit the record button, we were talking about AI. And she said, one of the first writing jobs that will go away under AI is travel writing. And the reason for that that is I want to, she said, you know, if I want to input or want an article on say Hawaii, give me an article about visiting Oahu and it will pull it because there's so much travel blogs and writing out there. It'll create it in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, one of the very first things I did with ChatGPT, Peter, was just because I was just trying different things, is I said, create a list of the 10 most, uh, the 10 least known but most retirement eligible cities in the U.S. and give me a description of each of those cities, right? Yeah. That was the task. And it literally spit out a list of 10 cities, which I don't necessarily think were the best 10, but it, you know, it did what I asked it to do. But it, it wrote a paragraph about each one, about, you know, including data about the average housing price and what the retirement, you know, the necessary level of income to live comfortably there it was. And you could have published it, you know, I mean, you could have literally published it if you had a blog devoted to that stuff with maybe like two tweaks in the words and a couple of extra sentences added on in like three minutes. So it can do that kind of stuff right now. It doesn't necessarily mean it's of the highest quality, but a lot of people don't or a lot of places don't care. You know, well, you know, I see these articles on mainstream websites like CNBC, you know, take a look at the 10 most beautiful cities and, it, and it'll say like Tulsa in there. Right. And, <laughs> they clearly and, don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm wondering if that was a bot. Yeah, could have been. So anyway, anyway. Well, listen, I well, do got to run. Yes. So. Thank you both for coming on. Suzanne Lucas, evil HR lady, Michael Vandervoort with Labor Relations Institute. I really appreciate it. It's a great conversation. I was thrilled, Suzanne, when Mike suggested you coming on as well. Oh, I was so happy to come on. I love to chat about uh, ChatGPT and speculate on the future. Yeah, and and, yeah, and yeah, and thanks for all the all the conversations that we have. Uh, Don't drive to Wyoming though for a while, okay? (laughs) It 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 it, it always turns into I got to listen to like half a dozen podcasts, and I don't have that kind of time anymore, Peter. So So for background, Suzanne, I drove nine thousand miles in the month of May to Wyoming twice. So. Uh, because you were like, I know I'm going to drive to Wyoming twice. No, I have a son who's a cowboy out there and, uh, needed a ride back and forth from the, from Wyoming to the East coast. So. Wow. It was fun. Have you guys not heard of planes? (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's more complicated. Nearest airports like four, four hours away. 
So. Yeah, I understand. I I grew up in Utah, so I understand distances. Yeah. I have a cousin in Wyoming right now. Um, yeah, she lives in the middle of nowhere, but goodness gracious, it's beautiful. They're probably neighbors 40 miles apart. Right. They're probably next door neighbors 40 right. miles apart. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much anyway. for the Yellowstone Dutton Ranch. All right. I'm signing off. All right. I'll, I'll, Thank thanks you, a lot. Folks. It was great, Peter. Take Thank care. Thank you. All right. Take care. Fun. Talk soon. All right. Bye. 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 So that was Suzanne Lucas, a.k.a. Evil HR Lady, and Michael Vandervoort from the Labor Relations Institute. And I don't know if we've gotten answers to the question of whether we should be looking at AI, artificial intelligence, like Chicken Little, or is it the canary in the coal mine going to destroy humanity? Don't know that we're there yet, so I'm going to keep having conversations, try to get the bigger picture, and hopefully get some answers. So that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List, and if you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode of Labor Relations Radio. Have a great week and stay tuned for our next episodes. Wash my Black cream, take me to that place. Wash my sins away. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.